Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon. In this episode, we have Tony Jamis, founder and CEO of Oyster, the remote work employment platform. Prior to that, he founded Nexmo, a company ended up selling for $230 million. And in this episode, Tony shares a story of building Oyster, his approach to fundraising and how he raised a $20 million Series A in February of 2021, how he's building his team and really what goes into building a world-class distributed team. This is something his company is working with other companies on, and also he's doing the same with his company at Oyster. We also go through competition, how he looks at competition, as well as a number of other topics. And you can find the show notes for this episode at justgogrind.com slash podcast and support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Tony Jamis, CEO and founder of Oyster. Tony, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. And for people who are not familiar with Oyster, what are you doing with this company today, Tony? So Oyster is a distributed HR uh, platform. So what we do is we enable any company in the world uh, to employ anyone in the world without the need of setting up a local entity. And essentially what we do is we remove the barriers for cross-border HR so anyone in the world uh, can really get access to the opportunity they deserve, no matter where they live. This is such an important, relevant company in today's times. And you started it around a year ago or so. Why did you decide to start this company, Tony? So uh, so to, to tell you about that, let, let me kind of go back in time a bit. So, so before starting Oyster, and actually 10 years ago, I started a company called Nexmo. That was an API business for building communication apps. Uh, that business grew rapidly to $100 million of, uh, of, of revenue in less than five years. And then to be able to achieve that result, we had to kind of go and employ people in over 45 different countries. And, uh, and we really wanted to, to enable, to, to provide these people the best employee experience, whether they are in Argentina or in, in Japan. Uh, but we, instead of the fact that we actually invested a few million dollars of building up employment infrastructure, setting up all these entities, and with all the good intentions that the leadership team had to, to treat these employees as the first-class employees, we failed because we weren't as good in local labor law, local payroll, and the experience wasn't wasn't uh, uh, what we wanted. So when I wanted to, when I left this company, this company is now public after merging with Vonage on the Nasdaq. So I left this company and uh, I wanted to start a new company. Uh, and I realized that whatever company I'll do, it has to be a globally distributed company. And I'm talking here mid-2019, pre-pandemic. So I didn't really want it to go through that painful experience that we went through at Nexmo, especially as an early stage company. So I started looking for solutions. And to my surprise, what I, I didn't find a solution. What I, what I found is an industry called employer of record in the U.S. They call it PO, professional employer organizations, that um, that enabled companies to employ people in other countries without this setting up the entity. But but they they were more like a professional services type of organization. They weren't softwareized. Uh, they were very expensive. It was very cumbersome to set this up. So um, so I knew that this industry screamed to me that by applying a software approach to it. We can change it. We can lower the barrier completely to, to, to remove that concept of country by, by using software. 
But then I said to myself, like, why, why should I do it myself? I'm, as you know, I'm an angel investor. I could go and invest in companies that are um, changing that, that value chain, the yep. cumbersome value chain. Uh, it's really when I realized that if you make it as easy to hire somebody on the other side of the world and hiring your neighbor, you can potentially change the world. You can reduce wealth inequalities. You can reduce brain drain. And, and to give you some data around that, uh, there are over 80 million jobs that are going unfulfilled in the Western world, according to BCG. And BCG is saying that that's going to result in a potential $10 trillion economic loss. And, but at the same time, at the same time, in the next 10 years, you have 1.5 billion new knowledge workers coming into the workforce. And these are people that can do their job from anywhere. They only need a computer and an interconnection and a good office setup. You know, for me, and especially myself, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. I, I, I was born in Lebanon in the 1980, and then I had to, this opportunity to move to the West and get connected with the tech industry and study computer science. So for me, it was a really an important, uh, uh, an important uh, challenge that I want to uh, solve, leveraging my experience, building high growth businesses, uh, and putting it at, at, at the, um, investing it in, in, in solving that big problem in the world. And, and that's why I, I decided I, I want to do Oyster and dedicate 10 years of my life to this challenge. <laughs> It is such a big undertaking to start a company and it's such a long process with this. You're obviously going to do this with, with other people and that you're obviously with your company, you're here helping people hire and other, other things with that, but like with your own company, with Oyster, how did you set in the team early on? Like those first people, their co-founders and who the team was going to be to start this? Yeah. So, um, as, as a second time founder, the, the biggest learning for me was you have to think about. A leadership team that is fit for purpose for this opportunity, that is fit for purpose to make this business massively big and achieve the mission uh, that we're on. As you know, Oyster is a mission-driven company first and foremost, and a B and a B Corp. So, um, so we had the first person kind of I I um, I kind of engage in the business was an advisor on talent acquisition and organizational design. His name is Andrew. Uh, Andrew was, uh, he, he built uh, executive search businesses from scratch, focusing on tech. So with him, we kind of designed the vision of what the organization should be and work backward from that vision to go and do executive search process for each of the top five to six, uh, leaders in, in the organization. And that's how kind of we designed it purposely, uh, the team to, to address that opportunity. That's not necessarily the the norm. For how did you decide that, or how did that come about to decide to go about that way? First, it's it's really about really realizing that when you look at unicorns, these companies that reach a billion dollar valuation in a record time, uh, and you look at their talent, the initial talent that they acquire, that that was um, they really kind of over invested in, in that area early on compared yeah. to their competitors. And, uh, so that's kind of the, the initial thought. Like, how, how can we, if, if I want to make one decision right in this business, is a team, <laughs> is, a, is, is a team composition and the leadership and their profile and how this organization is going to work together? Because if you do that right in the beginning, then you, you don't end up fixing things as much as if you don't do it. And, and many companies I've seen, so as you know, as I'm an investor in many high tech growth companies, uh, 
and uh, and many of them reached a certain scale and they had to kind of uh, correct mistakes that's been made or suddenly you have uh, leaders that joined them in the beginning they were not fit for the next phase of growth so, so we had to build not only from zero to one but also from zero to ten to give us that kind of opportunity to go very fast and and actually what happened was you know i don't think we can talk about oyster without mentioning the pandemic well yeah. when we when we started the business a few weeks later uh we were in lockdown Jeez. and uh so which mean that we had to accelerate everything speed was essence because the market started exploding in front of our eyes all these companies uh wanting to Actually, the, fir- the first use case was really about, I have an employee in my headquarter. They, they want to go back to work in Italy or they want to go back to see their family in Spain and they want to stay there. Uh, that was kind of the first use cases that kind of triggered that, that market. But then eventually companies realized that, you know, wh- why, why should I restrict myself to hiring in the city where I have my office? Because anyway, everybody now is working uh, remotely. Um, and, and suddenly I have access to this vaster talent pool. And as you know, in the tech industry, we have a war on talent happening. So, <laughs> yeah. so suddenly, you know, these, these smart companies, our customers figure this out and, uh, and they realize, okay, well, not only I can, I can do this, but I can do it really fast using Oyster. I can do it by making sure my employees are, are treated as a first class employee. They get the right contract. It's compliant. And I can do it in few, few clicks online. When they realize this, they realize actually this is a superpower. And they came and they expanded and they start hiring. Our, some of our customers, we have over 80% of the workforce on our platform. Jeez. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. And with that, I mean, I want to I wanna dive deeper into that side of things. How did you think about the applications for this? I know you mentioned like you know your employees who were going to go work from other places because want to be with their families during the pandemic. But how did you think about the ideal customer for Oyster in terms of who you're going to start with and customer acquisition? How did you think through that? Uh, the ideal the ideal customer is uh, at, at the moment is a technology company that is growing fast and uh, and and then uh, either moved or moving towards a distributed. Um, way of operating and collaborating. Uh, th- that's kind of the ideal target target market right now. From that, then understanding that was what your ideal target market is. These high growth tech companies. What's been your strategy for acquisition? There's so many different ways to go about it. There's some of the typical routes, but I'm curious. It's like even on a high level, when you started this company, what was what was your plan in terms of getting the obviously customers on board? Yeah. So I mean, initially the. Like when you start, when you start a business from scratch, you need to get to a minimum viable uh, product that, that, that actually uh, achieves what your early customers want. And, and to get to understand what these customers want, we had to do customer interviews, right? So we, yep. uh, so we spend a, a few weeks uh, talking to a lot of, uh, head of HR, talent acquisition people, CEOs of, 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 of tech companies that are some, some of them that already distributed. I've interviewed. Some of the emblematic companies uh, that are pioneering this distributed work, even pre-pandemic, such as GitLab. I spent some time with the, the folks at Automatic uh, and on Buffer and, and all these kind of emblematic companies that were pioneering distributed work. And, and you know, we've learned the challenges that they were facing and we worked together to design, okay, what would be a solution uh, that really makes them excited and solve their problems. 
Uh, and eventually, some of some of these early conversation they they, they turn into customers when we decided to open um, the gates for for beta customers. Um, and and this is kind of the initial uh, the the acquisition strategy. And then and then it spread uh, through word of mouth actually. So the, these companies are, are are talking to other companies, especially the HR the HR um, staff and the people ops that are really struggling with this, struggling with this problem and then found Oyster, they, they, they become fans. They, they just want to talk about it and because it solved the real problem for them. Um, so, and, and more recently, we, uh, uh, another sources of, of acquisition has been partnering with venture capital firm because if you think about it, you know, VCs, <laughs> you know, as you know, uh, they are, they want their, portfolio companies to be successful and and one of the critical areas of success is how do you access talent fast and and uh, we, we are empowering VC firms uh, to provide these these, these uh, the platform to their portfolio companies and suddenly enabling them to to expand uh, their um, the, the the surface area for the recruitment that's a such a good strategy I know I was at a customer acquisition company previously and that was the same thing we did as well we were thinking okay if we're going to help high growth startups with customer acquisition we need to know who the vcs are because they have all these in their portfolio it just makes it makes sense in terms of who you know how you get to these people and from that and to that point like you raise venture capital for your first company for for nextmo you know 35 million dollars end up selling that company for 230 million dollars with oyster you also raise venture capital having just raised a 20 million dollar series a this year in 2021 I want to talk about more of the fundraising side of things because you have a lot of experience in that realm. And for other founders, I think it'd be helpful. Tell me about your experience with Oyster. Uh, at first with the, the first round of funding, and then we can get into the Series A. I'm curious as to how, how that process went and how you approached it. Yeah, so in both cases, what was uh, what was standard was kind of the, really the, the cre- creating a, a plan uh, for for the investors. What it essentially means is that you... You want to be very clear with VCs uh, when do you expect to make a decision, uh, when do you want to start receiving term sheets, obviously making sure that you also um, align with their timeline. Um, that's kind of one, one, one strategy. The other one is really to, uh, to be very, um, I would say, strategic in, in who you want to talk to and why, knowing why you're talking to a VC because, as you know, uh, each VC brings to the table a slightly different value, and and in our case, in the first uh, in the first fundraising, we we wanted to optimize for a firm that was very very hands on in early stage, and has some mission driven investors in the pool. Um, so we, that's why we we picked Connect Ventures in London. Uh, they are backed by uh, one of the major mission driven or ESG. Uh, fund in Europe called Big Society Capital that we worked with them to to actually uh, clarify how we intend to deliver impact in this world and we wrote together an impact thesis and helped us to apply for our B Corp certification so they really kind of helped us with that process uh, and and then uh, and then coming Series A uh, eight months later we uh, we wanted a different strategy here what we wanted is uh, somebody that uh, actually, we initially wanted to have two investors, one that was best in class in SaaS, and we wanted to have one that was mission-driven. 
and, and then we stumbled upon Jason Green from Emergence Capital uh, that combined both of these characteristics in one person. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Jason Green is is the founding partner at, at Emergence. Emergence is the best in, in SaaS. They invested in Zoom, in Sysl.com, in Box, and many others. Uh, and then you have uh, Jason, who's also on the board of Endeavor, which is uh, a, um, a nonprofit that, that promotes entrepreneurship and emerging economies, and he's really big on giving back. So we saw that you know this combination was like perfect, and no other VC could compete with that. Um, even though we might have had uh, you know other better offers, better terms, and that, that was we wanted Jason from Emergence, and I think, and and also we had the chance to to combine uh, Slack. Uh, fund into into the round as well as you know slack is leading the way in uh, in, in changing how we work and making us uh, more productive and uh, and more balanced when it comes to 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 work, working from uh, remotely and, and from anywhere uh, so slack is, is also joining the round and we will also have uh, uh, we'll announce soon a number of um, uh, angel investors that are uh, leading the way in uh, in, in, in distributed work and changing the way we work and providing all these kind of infrastructure uh, for that future that we all envision. Um, so, so it's essentially going back to the foundation question. It, it's really about being uh, strategic about who you want and why you want them, uh, and um, and also have a have a clear process so that actually uh, uh, investors can 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 know can have some predictability. Yeah, in in in, in the process. With that as well, one of the things I'm curious about is going through that process. Um, obviously, you mentioned the whole like best in class SaaS. What did that mean for you? Did you want someone that had operating experience, you know, leading a high growth SaaS company? Did someone who invested in a lot of high growth SaaS? Like, what were you looking for in that realm of like a best in class SaaS VC? Yeah, we wanted. We, we were looking really for uh, the latest, the latest method of growth, whether it's about marketing or B two B SaaS sales. Um, and, uh, so I think this was kind of the key, uh, uh the key, uh, uh, value add you were looking for. And, uh, uh, and, and, and also um, among other things, that's what, what, uh, emergence is specialized uh, in, and this is what they deliver as value. And with this as well, just to dive deeper, I know in another interview you mentioned you had iterated like 57 times in your pitch deck, you used recorded videos, Notion you used as well. Take me through yeah. some of those things you were, you were doing, because I think for other founders who aren't familiar or going through this process, um, I think these would be helpful. Take me through some more of those details or things that you did that was helpful for this fundraise. Sure. Yeah. So so what, 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 we, what we didn't talk about, Justin, is also that we're building the best distributed company in the world, right? So, so and that's not only about the tool we use and how we build and communicate, but also how do we interact with our investors. Yeah. Uh, so we, so we, what we did is we, uh, instead of doing the classical, uh, you know, you send a pitch deck uh, and then you do uh, a, a video call and you walk them through the pitch deck, which is kind of time consuming for, for, for both, for both sides. Yeah. Uh, and so what we did, we went kind of one level down in the funnel and we send them, uh, a recorded video by myself uh, introducing the opportunity and wh and why they should invest. Uh, also uh, attached not a deck but an investment memo, which is a you know seven pages long document that that explain the opportunity and the impact we intend to make in this world. Uh, and then invite them if they want to move forward to the next step. Uh, and they would go and and you know book me for for a meeting through through Calendly. 
Um, so that, that's kind of on to, to kind of bring the 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 uh, to build the, the the pipeline of interested investors, and then when we moved into the due diligence process, uh, we also kind of created a data room, but instead of being just you know a bunch of files put in a Dropbox or in in a box uh, uh, instance, it was it was more kind of animated with a, kind of a Notion page with videos and and kind of guide them through the various. Uh, document that they need to download and 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 how they should read these documents so we kind of guided them through uh, the due diligence process um so that, that's kind of the, the the i would say the asynchronous fundraising i call it asynchronous fundraising <laughs> i love that i think it's and it's it, thinking very strategically around that and having a process in place and things that are different. I think that's always helpful for other founders as they're going through this process, especially if they're not familiar. And, you know, it's worth obviously stating that you were <laughs> clearly a second time founder who had had a big exit. So easier in different ways to raise and get intros and all of that. So I'm not, I don't want to like pass by that, that point, but you are obviously very strategic with how you've gone about this. But in that process, even people who have raised before and who have other companies I've had in this show, it's not easy to fundraise. So what was some of the pushback you were getting or any pushback around raising for Oyster? Yeah, look, I, I really don't enjoy the fundraising process because <laughs> you, you're going to get rejected like yep. 95% of the time, even if you're a repeat founder. So, so, so what you need, so you need, you need to, to have resilience. I mean, that, that's what, what I just think you have to have resilience that even in, you know, the worst case scenario, you had 10, 10 no's in the morning, you have to be able to deliver an amazing pitch in the afternoon, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that, that requires resilience. And, and so to, I mean, to, to be computer transparent with, with all these entrepreneurs and, and, and managers that are, that are listening to us today, like it, it took us, it took us four weeks to land the term sheet. Okay. At week two, at the end of week two, I, I was, I was in a, in a, in a really depressive mood. Yeah. Because all we got was no's and which is obviously expected, you know, you know, if you look at the data, it's, it's, you know, completely normal, but, but, but it's it's still hard for me to to manage. So I had to. I couldn't sleep. I, ha I woke up four a.m. in the morning, and I had to write down uh, a two pages long document about you know what happened if we don't fundraise, and and to get myself and my body and my unconscious to be okay if we don't fundraise. And just going through that exercise, the next day, I gave my best pitch ever. <laughs> because I was I was relaxed, I was focused, and uh, you know I was I was here to deliver the best job I could deliver. That's great to hear. That that's I think it is such a difficult process. And having heard the stories of so many people going through that, I mean it's 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 challenging. You have to find a way to get through. One of the things you mentioned though, I want to go back to as well is like you know you're building a world class distributed team. Like that's what you're doing at Oyster on top of helping other people build their teams you're building a world-class team at Oyster. What are some of the things that go into that in terms of how you operate, in terms of how you bring people on? Because I mean, other people aspire to that and other people listening who are growing their companies want to build a world-class team and many are going to have to be distributed. How are you thinking through building a world-class like distributed team at Oyster? Yeah. And, and just with a disclaimer, we, we haven't figured it out yet. We're, we're actually <laughs> co-creating that with the world yeah. as the world watches. So, so it's a, uh, very exciting journey, and I think I think first let me put myself in the shoes of the leaders of these organizations and and the entrepreneurs that are listening out today. I think first, 
the question you want to solve is how do you enable a team to work effectively and collaboratively together uh, without burning out? Okay, yeah. this is kind of the, the balance that you have to find. And and I, and I talk about you know not burning out, and this kind of include a number of uh, uh, issues there. You know, it could be you know physical burnout, it could be uh, mental health related challenges, it uh, could be isolation, loneliness of your team. I mean, uh, so so that that's kind of the meta problem you want to solve, and you want to enable these teams to kind of solve it for their own teams as well, these leaders. Um, and, and how do we, you know, how are we, how, how have we, we have been solving this is really to first and foremost to adopt, uh, an asynchronous way of collaboration and communication for most things, because there are certain things that you cannot do in an asynchronous way, such as like brainstorming and planning and, uh, like live, you, you need to have some live discussions for certain, I would say more complex cross-functional tasks. Uh, but you have to be really kind of disciplined in applying some of these asynchronous uh, way of collaborating. So I'm talking about, you know, once, well, let's say, take an example, how, how we run our leadership team meeting. So we do once, one synchronous session per week. Uh, and then, uh, and then the, the agenda get, get set early in the week and, and each item would have a, a short loom video and maybe a doc assigned to it that people can read ahead of the time. So when we are in the meeting, we're highly effective and move very quickly. But without sacrificing depth, uh, everybody can like doing my, my planning for, for Q2, um, kind of I wrote in a, a long, uh, three, four page document about what, what I like things to change and why. And then the team went in and collaborated around it. And then so, so essentially really kind of getting everybody to engage with this asynchronous way of communication and collaboration is key. Secondly is how do you enable people across time zones to, to be highly effective? Uh, without the need to, you know, call their manager uh, at odd hours, right? So, so it's really <laughs> about documentation. So you have to take documentation in the company, like like you're building a product for your customers. So this is the amount. You know, we have a team of like uh, probably like five percent of the company that is dedicated of enabling that to to build better documentation and tooling around around distributed uh, work. Um, and then, and then, uh, th- thirdly, and you know, there's so many things, but I'm going to talk about the, the major things. One is how do you create a culture, a strong culture in, in a distributed organization? And, um, and the challenge here is what, what the challenge we're facing is that before when we used to commute to an office, uh, we had this kind of routine. Every morning we wake up, we prepare, we take the car, we take the public transportation, and then we go to the office. And then we spend most of that time there and then we come back home. So most of our life was consumed with work. Yeah. And, and, and that actually um, makes us identify more with work and makes the job of leaders easier to create a culture. Now, what's happening is that our, our life is not anymore defined only with work. Uh, it's also defined with our community. Uh, like the other day, I was able to go and help my handicapped um, uh, neighbor go to the store because he couldn't, he couldn't drive at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I wouldn't be able to do that if, if I was in the office. And now I'm able to spend more time with my eight month old, uh, son, um, in between calls. I'm probably going to go after this podcast and, and call <laughs> him a bit. So, you know, my relationship with him is changing and it's, I'm getting deeper with him. So essentially my identity is not only going to work. It's, it's more now. And then it becomes harder for leaders 
uh, like me to really build a strong culture. Yeah. Um, so, so, so from one hand, it's great for local communities and for the individual to have multiple identities and association. Uh, so what we do here is we create, um, uh, we have this ability to create like social, social events and, and, uh, so for instance, in my team, uh, we, uh, every two weeks we have like a, we call the oyster bar, uh, where everybody can join in. It's like, it's optional. And, uh, rule number one of the oyster bar, oyster bar is we don't talk about oyster. Uh, rule number two is that you can leave anytime, come anytime. It's very flexible. It's like a bar or yep. a pub. Uh, and then each team has that. And also we do a kind of an all hands every two weeks, right? There's a lot of social kind of uh, games and interaction. So, so we're trying our best to kind of, uh, create some sort of a strong culture. Uh, but, but I'm actually very happy to the fact that people have now, uh, more connectedness with their local communities. And, uh, that's kind of an, the upside of it, of that equation. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the companies trying to help with this this problem. But it's it, you know with how you build a community, how do you build like a culture within a company when it is distributed? And, and I know like Matt Monwig at Automatic, who created WordPress, um, they have done a lot of different things with with, with what they've done because they've been distributed the whole time. Uh, and so there's interesting to see what they are doing. I know I've interviewed um, Chow Yun Chu from Run the World, who's an events mm-hmm. company doing interesting things with, you know, how you build like round tables or having different rooms people can hop into. Uh, but it doesn't need to be something where it's it's a priority because especially with distributed work as well. I mean, with options all over the place, as you said, there's this talent war in tech. Why is someone staying with your company versus someone else? And there's obviously the mission behind the company, but also once they're there, do they feel part of something? Do they feel part of this this journey you're on and want to stay with it for a while? And it is a challenge by all means within that. And um, just taking a, a step back with that and kind of on a similar note with where people can go all, different, all over the place in terms of companies and everything, with, with competition though, for, for Oyster, there's a number of companies doing things in this space, especially as they've seen COVID and moving towards distributed work. How do you look at competition and what makes you unique versus competitors? Yeah, the way I look at competition is more uh, cooperation, which is cooperation with your competitors to create a market. And uh, because if you think about it, you know, we, we are more like the Tesla of the electrical cars. Like we want other manufacturers to come in and yep. and, and help us build the market uh, because we're mission driven. You know, we want to make hiring people in other country easier and easier and easier and scalable and scalable and scalable. We want that to be every smart company in the world. Uh, to build a distributed team. So we have all the intention uh, to partner with other players in this space, either, uh, you know, uh, direct competitors or, or, or kind of comp- complementary uh, services, such as a talent acquisition uh, for distributed teams or, or uh, learning and development for distributed teams. So there's a number of, of areas that we uh, we want to partner with. So, so directly, so how we think about, you know, the competition, you know, there are companies out there um, that enable some of them are are, are more softwareized than others, uh, but they enable you to employ somebody and stay compliant uh, in another country without setting up an entity. And uh, uh, so so that's what we do as well. That's kind of our core product, and and we believe it's the, the best in class product in that in that category. But but that's not only what we do. What we do is we take we look back at the the challenge of HR leaders. Uh, in, in, in these organizations and, and look at how can we help them along the life cycle 
of a distributed talent, starting from uh, finding the talent, knowing how to assess the talent. Like, you know, if you find, you, you find Muhammad in Morocco, you want to hire Muhammad. How do you know what the, what are the top universities in Morocco, right? How do you assess <laughs> yeah. Muhammad there? And, and then how, how much do you want to pay Muhammad, right? Do you pay them San Francisco salaries or, or do you pay them uh, Moroccan local uh, salary or do you pay them something somewhere in between? Um, and um, how do you give stock options to Muhammad in, in, in Morocco to enable him to be part of that uh, uh, tech economy that we all kind of participated in and benefiting from? Uh, so, and, and then, and then when you, when you hire Muhammad, how do you know if you want to hire him as an employee or the contractor? And what are the risks that you would face if you would pick A versus B? And then what kind of benefits are you going to offer him in Morocco to be a competitive, great employer and treat him as a first class employee, even if he's not in the headquarter? So all these kind of, uh, surface area of challenges that HR leaders are now faced as, as they participate in the global talent pool. Uh, we are here to support them along along that uh, along that challenge. With that as well, I mean, we haven't talked a ton necessarily about the, the product and offering you have. If you can give us a little bit more detail around that, what's the experience like when people are are working with Oyster? I think it'd be helpful as people are you know considering this platform too and just understanding what you're building. Uh, we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so we're building really three things. One is an employment infrastructure. Uh, where we have, uh, oyster entities in, in all these countries, over a hundred countries, uh, where we can employ people right now. Uh, and we act as a local employer, uh, for, for Mary in Athens and Greece. So she can enjoy a, a local employment experience, social security, and the benefit that comes with the stability of a, a full-time employment. Uh, and then that's the employment infrastructure. Uh, and then, and then on top of that, there's kind of all the payment and the payroll, uh, infrastructure. Think of it as kind of cross-border payment uh, that is compliant with local labor laws and local payroll regulation. Every country is different. So we have, uh, what we enable our customers is really to uh, receive one invoice, one currency, and then behind the scene, we kind of distribute the funds to all their employees and contractors and all the government as, uh, agencies that are required to, for compliance reasons to pay the taxes. Um, so, so it's very complex kind of backend, but very simple for the customer. Uh, and, and last but not least, is, is, uh, it's a kind of uh, HRIS, HR uh, tool that, that enable them to build this distributed organization. So they can go online and let's say they found Mary in, in Athens, they want to hire her. So they go online, they put her email, name and compensation detail and they click, you know, employ and that triggers an employment contract that goes to Mary. She signed it and she got onboarded into the platform and Monday next week she will be employed. Oh man, so many things, so many things with that that are obviously useful for for companies. I'm thinking through some things in my head around that as well with other companies. But with taking a step back from the company with Oyster, you mentioned angel investing. I wanted to get into a little bit of this because I know you have have some experience here, and I imagine after selling your company as well, deciding to get into this. Take me through how you first got into angel investing. What were you looking for, and then today, what are you looking for? How does that work today as you're running your company and also angel investing? Yeah, I got into angel investment when I was uh, at Nexmo a few years be before we exit, actually, because Nexmo was an API for communication with such as text messages and voice, and, and many early-stage companies, startups, needed that service. They so had that opportunity to really uh, sit in a position where I could, you know, see a lot of deals. Uh, you know, I would interact with a lot of founders, that helping them with, with their business, and then... And then uh, 
from time to time, I would put in a small check. Um, and so, you know, example is, is Zenly, which is a, uh, was a social network for, for, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a platform for location for social networks. And then, uh, we, 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 that was sold to, uh, to Snapchat, uh, I think for like $300 million. And, um, another example would be in, in Daga, which was, a an open source telecom infrastructure for remote islands. So let's say you go to Indonesia and you, 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 uh, small island in Indonesia and they can come in and plug in an antenna connected to satellite. And so that was acquired by Facebook and became part of the Facebook internet.org initiative. Uh, so it's kind of the early days of, of me being at, at Nexmo and, and seeing all these companies. And as yeah. I, as I exited the business, we, so we, we've set up with, uh, with my partner, uh, a family infrastructure. Uh, where we invest across the world, across asset classes, but then specifically, uh, we deal directly with all these kind of early stage tech. I would say early stage, even late stage. So we invest across the board. We invest in, uh, you know, seed to, 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 to pre IPO. We invest in, uh, funds as well. Uh, and, and how, and we invest in certain areas. We don't invest in everything. We invest in things that we really, uh, have an edge in and or believe in. So we invest in API technologies, we invest in communication technologies, we invest in uh, HR tech, obviously, and uh, increasingly ESG or impact-driven investments. With that as well, I mean, with I mean, you're you're pretty focused in that realm, but across stages and everything as well. Today, I mean, how does it look in terms of deal sourcing? Things you're seeing as you're running your company. I know there's a lot, I've talked to a number of other kind of operator and investors, and I'm curious as to how you approach that or how that goes for you today. Yeah, so we, we, we have a very good lead, uh, uh, lead sourcing. So we receive a few opportunities a week. We probably invest one or two per month. Uh, and, um, it's usually, uh, through the VC community because, uh, they want, you know, in, in, every, in some, some deals, they always keep like a small allocation for value add angel investors and, yep. and, 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 and VC calls me when it's an API, where it's a communication tech, when it's, uh, uh, when it's, uh, HR tech or whether anything related to mission driven and ESG. Um, so we're building kind of our expertise in that, in that area. And I'm not the only one doing this. I have my partners who's the chief investment officer of our, of our family office. Uh, Elodie, she kind of, uh, manage the deal flow, do kind of the first, uh, uh, the first, uh, due diligence. And then, and then we also help, uh, the, the, these founders also, if they come to us, uh, not from a VC, we help them connect with the VC community. So we kind of generate also, uh, the flow for, for other VCs. Um, yeah. So this is kind of, and, and for us, it's really, it's really about, you know, giving back to the, to the, to the, to the ecosystem and, and, and participating with exciting, uh, companies that are building the future of work or building the future of, uh, of, of technology in general. Yeah, I know at, at Vitalize Venture Group, we're, we're looking at th those are the two areas, actually, in terms of future of work and future of learning, we decide to focus on as we move forward and with the next fund and everything as well, because we are, I mean, there's so much going on in these in these spaces, future of work, obviously, you're very much very familiar with that future of learning ties into that as well. Yeah, uh, in terms of getting jobs and everything and something that, you know, we, we made the decision to to focus on that because of the high upside of what we're seeing with these companies. And we've invested a number of them already in different areas. And it is something where like, I'm, I'm personally just really excited when I hear different things with how people are evolving uh, these spaces, because like, to your point, like the mission, everything you're doing, like, 
people all over the world can work for companies wherever, and it doesn't matter necessarily anymore. And that's exciting for opportunities for, you know, you know, improving your, your finances, your life, and it just really takes things to a whole other level. And so something that we're really excited about, and one of the companies that you invested in, Hopin, has uh, exploded. Take me through first hearing about them, uh, and then wh- how, why you decided to invest back when you did the seed round. Yeah, Hopin is 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 a um, is is a good uh, is a good uh, example of the intersection of what we invest in. So they are uh, they are a communication technology company, right? They do events, uh, virtual events. They are the leader in virtual events. Uh, and then secondly, they are also mission driven, right? If you think about it, they they uh, even before COVID, I mean, the thinking of Johnny there was was okay. Well, we are we have to change this this kind of event industry. We don't want to have like and I, I don't know if you, you've been to one of these mega tech events. Like I used to go to this, you know, Barcelona Mobile World Congress, and you had like three hundred thousand <laughs> people coming from all over the world to that small Jeez. city, and then it would be like a traffic jam, and you know, like a airports would be jammed. So, so I mean, like there, there's really you know, and then you go there, and you know, it's really about meeting people. So why, why not meeting them on Zoom? But essentially, you know, like there's Johnny wanted to rethink that 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 industry. Uh, and it fit, it fit our communication technology uh, pieces and also our mission driven pieces. Uh, and, and how we got to know Johnny is actually Axel partners reach out to us. Um, again, because we are, uh, we help other founders when it comes to building this kind of communication technologies. Um, and, and this is how I connected with them. And I had the chance. I was very lucky to have a, uh, an, a small allocation in their seed round. I think now they raised the, they just announced like a four hundred million dollar Series B, I think. I think it might have been uh, C, but yeah, it's, C. It's massive. Yeah, that's massive five point five billion. I mean, like we. Yeah. I mean, that's it's been, it's been, it's been a good year <laughs> for 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 our portfolio. Thanks. Yeah, thanks I mean, to Hopin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks to Hop, and that's very that's, that's huge, especially when you look at what's happened in this kind of environment of remote work. And if you invest in these companies, I mean, it's they're just exploding, which is which is crazy to see how fast things can change. You just never know what what's going to happen. And obviously, no one's going to predict a global pandemic, um, which again, as you mentioned, has been terrible for so many people. But there's other opportunities within that, and it's shifting what what goes on. One of the things I want to get into is just with what you're working on with 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 Oyster, and then you're obviously doing some investing. You have an eight month old. How do you manage your time day to day, week to week? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so the way I manage my time is I um, I really need to. For, I think what's important for me is to get into the rhythm of of recovery over the weekend. Okay, and. Uh, and it wasn't enough for me. Like when, when I used to do Nexmo, I used to work over the weekend and it was to work really hard, very late. Uh, and, and here, uh, I realized actually if I keep my energy, uh, recharging, I'm much more productive and present for my team and effective as a CEO and a leader. Uh, so what I've decided is Fridays, I don't take any meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. that enables me to catch up on, on, on the backlog that I've accumulated during the week, uh, and, and enabling me to think. Uh, to, through things that requires to take a step back and, and think about long term and, uh, and, and work on the business, not with the business or so, so that, that was really a success for me this, this time. Um, and, but, but the rest of the days, the four days a week where, where I take meetings, I'm like in meetings from usually, you know, 11 a.m. London till sometimes 10 p.m. Uh, in the evening here. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and that's hard. It's really hard. Like, you know, I'm drained at the end of the day. So, so, 
but but kind of that that ability to, to be able to take full two days uh, and and really recover throughout the weekend has been uh, an effective strategy this time around. What uh, what influenced that in terms of having that schedule and taking adopting that? Because I've I've again I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs at this point in terms of this show, and there's mixed thing, opinions and feelings around that. What what got you to do that? I think first uh, because I have kids now, so so <laughs> yep yep. So, so you know, uh, so I want to be there for them, and and uh, and I want to be really present for them in the weekend. So I don't want to be like uh, replying to emails and. And secondly, because I wanted also my team, whose most of them have children, uh, to not, not, not to have a boss who works over the weekend, right? So, like, if I work over the weekend, if, like, sometimes somebody sends me, like, a Slack message, I, I don't respond to it, even though I could, but I don't. Because I wanted to discipline the organization that we, you know, we don't want you to burn out. We want you to manage that, that kind of energy balance within your life. We want you to be present for other things in your life than, than your work. Although we expect you to be deliver the best and be high performance in the rest of the time, and um, and that's number one. Number two, uh, one thing that I wanted to, to experiment here, and and I don't think we've had a lot of success, is how can we enable part time workers in this company to to really become managers, right? So so how can really create a company where you know there's a new definition of what inclusion is, and if we have uh, great executive, great people, great managers that, you know, want to have a part-time job, they could build a career as a part-time, uh, uh, executive. And, and, uh, so I wanted to also kind of drive that example, but so far it haven't worked out yet. So we're still, still in experimentation <laughs> mode. Always testing, always, always I mean, testing <laughs> and, and taking things kind of full circle here with you're, you're born in Lebanon, 1980, you, you moved to France as age 17. For other people who have, you know, moved to other countries and, you know, debating going somewhere else to start a different job or whatever it may be, obviously it's remote work, so it changes things. But going back to that experience, like how has that shaped you being born in Lebanon, moving when you're 17 and now your career, you've had a lot of success. Like how, how did that impact your, your career? Yeah, I think first that process is pretty hard on any, any person who leaves their home country at whatever age. Uh, and their community because, because you can, you get disconnected from something that is really defining your identity. And, and I've struggled all my life with that, uh, since I left about this, uh, you know, like I cook Lebanese food myself. I'm like trying to kind of listen to Lebanese music, kind of make sure that I kind of still connected with that, with that self that yeah. was, uh, 17 years, uh, uh been, been, been in the country. So it's really hard to, and also what's hard is go to go to you kind of get to a new country. There's the uncertainty. You have no money. You have to find part-time jobs. You have to find loans to finance your studies. I mean, I, I was lucky to go to France, right? Because France, unlike the U.S., there's universal education and it's like top education. So, so thank you, thank you, France. And <laughs> uh, uh, but but how it shaped me. I mean, today, I mean, especially as a Lebanese, uh, like I consider myself to be to be. Uh, uh, to be countryless, right? I mean, like the, I mean, the country is collapsing right now. There's a massive crisis, devolution of the currency, uh, corrupt government. I mean, it's like, it's a melting, melting country. Uh, so, you know, getting to, 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 to 40 years old, like I, I feel that I don't belong anywhere, but actually that's okay. You know, I kind of got to the point where, where I don't have to physically belong to a, kind of the country with a passport and, uh, borders that that's kind of man-made and there's something kind of more important that we belong to 
which is being there on this planet. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that this is kind of, this is my way of coping. You know, I, I'm telling myself this new story so that I can cope with that kind of disconnection, uh, problem that is due to immigrating from my home country. It's gotta be. I mean, challenging to say the least. And if no one's gone through it, like you don't have any really idea around that. I mean, what's helped you through that? There's in terms of, I mean, kind of coping with what that was in that situation of you not feeling that. Do you, I mean, I know I've talked to other people on, on the show, I've gone through therapy or other things around that or helping them with just everything with life. But what's helped you through that most? I'm curious. Well, I think, uh, you know, first is, is, is really you have like, uh, you have to get into trouble to realize you have an issue, right? So, so, mm. so you have all sort of kind of mental disorders, that, you know, all different flavors that you can imagine. Uh, so, so when you get into that, that moment of, of, of difficulty, then you have to start looking for help. And, and I've been fortunate to have been, been surrounded myself with, uh, uh, friends and, 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 and therapists that, and, and coach that can help, that help me along the way uh of on a journey and 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 i think uh and it's not it's not over yet right i mean it's like you know uh you know think about mental health during during the pandemic like 50 percent of the, of, the, of the world population has some mental health issue right now so mm-hmm. so you know i think there's a uh, it's a continuous uh i would say self self-discovery and and you know i've used certain techniques such as you know meditation and 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 spirituality are becoming more more important in my life that helped yeah, I've heard that from a number of people as well on on meditation side of things, uh, be, being able to help manage things, and um, like I said, I can't underscore enough like how important like therapy for many people has been, and I, sometimes it's stigmatized, but it's so helpful for. I know some number of my friends have gone. I know a number of people I've interviewed have gone, and like it's so helpful for people. Depending on if you know if you, if you feel like you need it, it can be tremendously helpful. And I'm. It's just you have such an impressive story uh, with what you've done in your career and where you've come from and then, you know, where you're going with with Oyster and everything else. I'm very excited for you. Where can people go to reach out to you and connect with you if they'd like, like to, Tony? Sure. So I think the uh, the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, so you, you, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, and also, if you're interested in what Oyster does, uh, the website is oysterhr.com. And you'll have the ability there to sign up, try the product, and chat with my team. Awesome. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Justin, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.